Okay, AK-47 heads, we are back with another episode of the Talking Lead AK Corner, presented by none other than Pioneer Arms Corps. And joining me, I swear, not lying, is none other than Schwell Ansel Robinson. Welcome, welcome in, Schwell. I am here. I am here. Sorry, I haven't been around, folks, but life seems to always get in the way when it comes to me and the AK. <laughs> <laughs> The the wife depegs gets in the way, don't she? Well, she plays a huge part in that. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> don't tell her I said that. She'll put a foot up my ass. I'm sure. Well, I'm telling her so she can hate you and not me. <laughs> We're glad to have you back, Schwell. You have but, you have missed some awesome AK corners the past couple of episodes. I hate that uh, for you, but you had an opportunity to listen to them. Uh, last episode we had Travis Haley, we had Jim Fuller, and we had Brian Keeney. And we were talking about the finer points of training. And uh, it was a great episode. So make sure you guys go back, check that out. And uh, this week, Schwell, what's our topic going to be? 922R compliance and how it impacts Americans who want to have that, that imported or want to put together their own AKs with imported parts. There you go. And uh, to help us discuss this topic, we've brought in a couple of veterans in the industry we've got andrew brenneman with century arms howdy y'all i think that's the first time i've introduced you with century arms isn't it uh yeah i think so yeah so you guys know andrew he's a, a long time lead head been on the show many times and uh, he's going to bring his expertise to this conversation and then of course uh, you know we can't have this conversation without having cj johnson he is over all of Pioneer Arms USA. CJ, welcome in. It's been a minute since you've joined us as well. Yeah, well, thanks for finally inviting me back. I've invited you every episode. <laughs> you have been invited every episode. Okay, if you want to tell your if you want to tell your followers that, we'll go with that. So CJ, you know, he don't want to let you guys know. He's just he's very busy getting the range ready for the Big Three East Media event that's coming up in what couple of months? Uh, yeah, it's coming up in March and. Uh, should be interesting this year. I think it will be. It's it's going to be a little bigger than normal, a little longer than usual, because you're combining your biannual into one into a uh, uh, an annual event. Right. Well, you know. Plus, we've got to just start off with for all the writers and stuff and media personnel, content creators who want to come down. Uh, we have none other than Mark Larue coming out. That's actually going to give an an AR Armors class himself. Now, that'll be nice. That's really cool. Yeah, that'll be real. That's a few days before the actual event, right? Uh, yep, Monday and Tuesday. Monday and Tuesday. Now, if somebody wants to attend that, what do they need to do? Well, they'll contact me at arobinson004 at cfl.rr.com. And basically what I'll need from them is links to their content to verify that they are the type of media that we want at the event. It isn't. We have made a change for this year. It is an open invitation for media, starting with our March event, which is going to happen the 27th, 28th, and 29th, March 2019. Okay, very cool. But you are going to verify that they're legit media. Absolutely. What I am not doing is we're not opening this up to the public. This is still a media and manufacturer event. This is not an event to come out and buy product or to come out and just waste ammunition. 
This is for folks that are going to help us spread the word on all of these new products and some old products that we want to get information out to the end user. And that is what Big 3 East media events are about. Very cool. So uh, you guys interested, if you're media, I know I got uh, some media guys that listen to this. Or if you're a manufacturer, you're interested in uh, coming and setting up a as a vendor, get in touch with Schwell. Again, hit them with that email address one more time, Schwell. It's A. Robinson. 004 at cfl.rr.com or just search Schwell11 and you'll find me on any social media platform and I'll get you squared away. There you go. So we've had uh, this this question come up several times. I've had uh, several of you listeners to the AK Corner. You're wanting to learn more about the 922R compliance and uh, what it takes, like Ansel said earlier, for you to be able to import parts to build your own or as the manufacturers, what the, the processes that they have to go through in order to import the foreign guns, specifically the AK-47s, to America. So uh, where do you guys think a logical place to start with this would be? On, on how, I think, on how it actually came to be, why we have to um, follow certain laws to get foreign weapons into our country. What do you think? Well, I think that's probably a good starting point on exactly exactly what happened you know it's the republicans have really you know they're kind of like the nra they they've really hurt us on on gun control mm-hmm. um more so than the democrats have um uh, this whole idea about the importation of the rifles where we have to bring them in as sporters because we can't bring them in as military style rifles you know that was an executive order signed by you know george senior george herbert um bush signed that so that we couldn't bring in them in a military-style configuration. I don't know what the um, I don't know what the logic was behind it, or or anything in that in that matter. I, I don't really know what they were planning whenever they they thought about bringing these gun in. But mm-hmm. we basically, as a consumer, sidestepped it as the importer, and we bring them in as sporting rifles, which basically means they can come in in a non-military style. You know, without a without a double magazine, as long as they're a uh, single magazine, uh, you know, single round, uh, you know, not double stacked, we could bring them in, you know, with a thumb hole in the stock, uh, no bayonet lug, no flash uh, suppressor. So there was certain stuff that we had to do to be able to bring the guns in to be able to do it that way. Right. And then if you wanted to take that gun and convert it and you said, oh, hey, you know, I want to change this. Um, well, then they had this process called 922R, which the ATF come up with, which X number of U.S. parts has to be inside of the gun for it to be able to be modified um, to be legal as a, you know, as an AK-47 um, drawn in as, as an assault rifle. So, and the easiest way to do that, of course, is, you know, it's you've got five parts basically on an AK that you have to change. So you can look at those parts on the gun to be able to do it. Well, one of the easiest things to do is to look at a magazine. If you go ahead and get a Magpul magazine or a Tapco or a PMAG, you get one of those types of magazines. The casing, the outer husk of it, uh, is one. The spring is one. And the follow tab is two. So that takes care of three of your parts right there. Um, and then you've got the trigger group. If you replace the trigger group and go away from the standard trigger group and go to a TAPCO or something else, and that's three parts there, you know, so you've got your gun compliant pretty easily 
that way. But, you know, it's a it's a process that really just made it a lot more painful on everyone to be able to do it on right. which really which really made no sense. So I think it stems fact- back I think it stems back to the um gun control act of uh nineteen sixty eight. Probably goes back further than that, but you know, I think I think it goes back to at least that and well, I'll, I'll kind of break it down real quick if you might be jumping in, Marty. Yes, that's why you're here. Basically, what the situation is, all of this stuff we're talking about only applied to imported firearms. So, of course, CJ and me being in the industry, we're, we're always looking for a way to you know, say, okay, well, this is the gun our consumer wants. How do we get it to them? So, you know, the first thing that importers started doing was, well, hell, let's just make it be an American gun. Well, there was no designation to what, what deemed it made in America. So the ATF came up with a list of 20 parts that constituted a firearm and uh, would then and then decided that as long as you had 10 or more of those parts that were made in the U.S., it was no longer classified as imported. It was then reclassified as a U.S. manufactured rifle. Right. Because at this point now, at this point, um, you know, the assault weapons ban hadn't went in yet. So, mm-hmm. you know, there was no assault weapons ban that happened in 94 or 93 and then went in effect in 94. So at this point, you could still buy a Colt AR-15 with all the bells and whistles, your flash suppressor, your bayonet lug, and all that kind of stuff. Right. So basically, they came out with this list of 20 items, and so, I mean, they're ridiculous. I mean, it's frame, you know, receiver. So barrel, let me just barrel. read. Let me just read what those 20 items are uh, okay. for purposes yeah, for purposes of the show. So, uh, and they're numbered. One is frames, receivers, receiver castings, forgings, or stampings. Two is barrels. Three is barrel extensions. Four is mounting blocks, trunnions. Five, muzzle attachments. Six, bolts. Seven, bolt carriers. Eight, operating rods. Nine, gas pistons. Ten, trigger housings. Eleven, triggers. Twelve, hammers. Thirteen, sears. Fourteen, disconnectors. Fifteen, butt stocks. Sixteen, pistol grips. Seventeen, forearms, handguards. 18 magazine bodies, 19 followers, and 20 floor plates. So those are the the 20 items in the list that are referred to as the compliance parts. And to have a compliant gun, your gun can only have 10 parts that are foreign manufactured off that list. Right. So half. Yep. And, And it changes for every type of gun. Some guns, you know, only have 13 of those parts on them. So you import them, you only have to change three parts, like an SKS, for instance. Um, when you import an SKS, if you wanted to put a thumbhole stock on it, you had to change three parts out and have them U.S. manufactured. Um, but, I mean, that's that's really where the whole thing started um, as far as the importing issues with uh, the guns. So people bring in sporting rifles like we still do now. And if your listeners have been around a while, they remember, you know, the thumbhole stock Mac 90, things like that. You know, they cut them down to where they didn't have – they had – under that number of parts so they could still be imported as a sporting rifle like we still do we still do that currently um mm-hmm. you know, dj with uh you know the, the stuff that pioneer brings in and then me with the stuff that, that we bring in at century we you know we all do the kind of the same thing yeah but um, well let's talk about the, that yeah. cj let's talk about uh pioneer arms on the because you guys are just now starting to to get those sporter rifles in talk about uh the processes that you guys have to go through to make those compliant? Well, we don't actually make them compliant. We are, we are in the process to start looking at uh, bringing the equipment over and start doing uh, the compliant parts ourselves because we're going to start selling 
the converter sporters to the American market straight from us and not through a, a third vendor. Right now, we all the guns that we make, because as you guys well know, we are a large military contractor overseas. So the majority of our guns and stuff are all from military contracts. And we get, we get um, uh, X number of guns uh, to the U.S., you know, in different models. For instance, if we bring in 600 uh, sporters, then, you know, that holds us up on bringing in help ups because, you know, it's a trade off to be able to do it because we only have certain machines to be able to run uh, because we make 100% of our parts in house. So by doing the military guns, we get behind on parts, so it kind of slows us up. We sell everything that we make right now goes through Classic Firearms. Uh, Classic Firearms is also a distributor. And so they do distribution to a lot of the other companies. So you'll you'll be able to find us at uh, Hicks. Um, you know, I think Armchar is carrying us now. I think uh, Bill Hicks is probably going to be carrying us and probably Elliot. Elliot not too far down the road. But when our rifles come in, they come in in the sporter, sporter version, and a lot of you have probably seen that. Um, they basically come in, and when you bring them in as a sporter – even though you're going to take those parts off, you know you're not going to use that trigger group. You know you're not going to use that buttstock. Um, you know you're not going to use that furniture that's on it, but it has to be on there to be imported. So you can't import an incomplete firearm that's missing parts, so it has to be shipped in, and then those parts have to be taken off of it. So a lot of people kind of think it's a joke for us for our for our shoulder stock that we have on it uh, is basically just a – you know, a, an inch thick piece of particle board that's just screwed on because we know that that's going to get taken off and thrown away anyway, and we do that to bring it into the U.S. And Classic is working with James River Armory, um, also out of North Carolina, and they do a really good job on doing the conversion of the gun. Basically, they cut the magazine well out. They drop a, a Tapco trigger down inside of it. Um, they go ahead and replace the furniture on it, and they replace the muzzle brake on it, and then they go ahead and uh, ship the gun out to whichever uh, dealer that has bought the gun from Classic. So they are actually doing the conversion on that now. We have we already have our CNC machine in, and we're already um, have our casting modes and stuff. Before long, we'll be doing um, the 922R on the rifles ourselves, and it'll be a hundred percent Pioneer rifle. Um, versus, uh, you know, an, uh, even though it'll be 922 compliant because mm-hmm. the other parts will be the compliant parts will be made here. So it'll it'll be there, but we're not quite there at that point yet. For the Pioneer Arms Corps AK rifles, not the help ups because pistols are different, and the help ups are considered pistols, correct? Yes. So we'll talk about the differentiation in just a second. But with the with the rifle, how many parts are you guys having to change out for the compliance? To, to change out a sporter to an AK, you have to switch out five parts. Okay. And which five parts are you guys changing out? Well, right now, the, the parts that are being changed out are, are they're changing out the stock group, which gives them one. They're changing the muzzle brake, which gives them two. And they're changing out the trigger group, which gives them three. Okay. So that gives them a total of, you know, of, of five parts there because the trigger, trigger group, of course, being three parts in itself. So that gives them the five parts it needs for them to be converted, and they go ahead and CNC out the magazine well. Andrew, can you take the Sentry Arms? Talk about the, the imports that they're doing. I mean, you know, we bring, we've been bringing in imports for all kinds, but we all do the same process. Um, you know, there's no difference between what, what Sentry has to do 
and what Pioneer has to do or anyone else who imports the guns. But the parts um, are typically the know. same. Is that? Is that what yeah, I'm I mean, saying? we all we all do it the same way. Okay. Um, you know, I mean, there's obviously smaller, you know, small differences. Like, you know, one company might use one trigger group and one company might use another trigger group. Like, obviously, we make the rack one trigger at Century, so we use the rack one triggers. Um, and because we also domestically manufacture AKs, we use all of our you know parts that we use domestically to change them out. But it's the same process. The process is the same. Mm-hmm. I mean, we have to machine out the Wasserton Magwell, just like Pioneer has to, you know, has to machine out the Magwell. Um, the same thing with their help ups. They can bring those in. We have the Dracos. We don't have to, we don't have to worry about that because 922 only applies to rifles, the long guns. Yeah. Rifles and shotguns, but long guns doesn't apply to handguns. Well, let's we talk have- about that real quick while we're, while we're on that subject. You know, what, why don't the, the guns, the handguns have to be, you know, follow suit? Do we know so, that well, the, hand, it wasn't, the law wasn't passed for handguns? It specifically specifically states rifles and shotguns, so the handguns aren't don't apply to it. So there yeah, you go. Yeah, it's it, the way that the law is written, as with every law that's on the books, it's it's vague in nature. It's up to the ATF's interpretation and whoever else's interpretation. But I think they use the word non-sporting rifle, mm-hmm. which is extremely vague and leaves it wide open. Because I think the intent was military-style rifle. You got it. So it's it's one of those things where they said just enough to where almost anything can be categorized as a non-sporting rifle. Mm-hmm. I mean, you look at a Benelli, a Benelli semi-automatic shotgun. You know, it can't have it can't take more than three um, rounds. It can only hold three rounds. I mean, five rounds. I'm sorry, it can only hold five rounds. If it holds more than five rounds because it's imported. It violates 922R. So you have to change out parts on it to get enough U.S. manufactured parts to be able to put an eight-round magazine tube on it. Good point. Yeah, a lot of people think this just applies to AKs and to, you know, the scary guns, but it applies to a guy's, you know, Benelli semi-automatic duck hunting shotgun or his competition three-gun shotgun. It applies to that as well. So if it wasn't made in the U.S., you've got to do all those parts. And a question for the panel. Um, these changes, these requirements, they don't have an impact on the function of the firearms. This is just... Uh, an obstacle for the sake of have, being an obstacle. Is that correct? It, it, exactly. All it does is it reclassifies it as an imported rifle to a domestically manufactured rifle. So I'm going to read. It's the Gun Control Act of 1968. Uh, the Gun Control Act of 1968 generally prohibits the importation of firearms, firearm frames or receivers, firearm barrels, and ammunition into the United States. However... The GCA creates several narrow categories of firearms the Attorney General shall authorize for importation. In general, the GCA provides in Title 18 United States Code, Chapter 44, Section 925, that firearms or ammunition may be imported into the United States for the purpose of scientific testing or research or for competition training under the provisions of Title 10, Chapter 401, uh, as unserviceable firearms. Other than a machine gun, as defined in 265844, not readily restorable to firing condition. If imported as a curio or museum piece, if the firearms or ammunition are of a type generally recognized as particularly suitable for or readily adaptable to sporting purposes, in quotes, the firearms or ammunitions were previously taken out of the United States by the person who is bringing in the firearms or ammunition Surplus military firearms and other non-sporting firearms qualifying as curios or relics may be imported. Uh, the uh, Title 18, 925 provides that the 
prohibition on the importation of firearms, firearm frames, receivers, firearm barrels, and ammunition does not apply to the importation of firearms or ammunition sold or shipped to or issued for the use of the United States uh, government and government entities, basically, is what that says. And then it says handguns being imported to the United States must also be recognized as particularly uh, suitable for or readily adaptable to sporting purposes. You know, again, they're leaving it vague. Sporting. What? What is sporting? Um, and AT. And again, you leave it up to the ATF to define what all this is. Just like the ATF went and redefined what a bump stock is. You know, they they went and defined it as a machine gun. <laughs> a piece. A piece of plastic as a machine gun. So, um, yeah, I mean, we leave it completely up to the ATF and the government to tell us what these definitions are. Mm-hmm. Well, if you look at that bill that they just that Nancy Pelosi's just started on it on on the um, her and Feinstein started on the ninth of this month, they're bringing their um, gun you know, they're talking back. Yeah, yeah, they're they're gun ban, and it's and it, there's like twenty two hundred rifles it doesn't apply to. Uh, but anything with a detachable magazine. Yep. Think about it. Your 1022, your HMR, you know, 17, you know, with your five round magazine, they're all illegal now or would be if they pass, they get the way they want. Yeah. They've got 205 military style assault weapons by name on this list. Yep. Um, any assault weapon that accepts a detachable ammunition magazine. And has one or more military characteristics, including a pistol grip, a forward grip, a barrel shroud, a threaded barrel, or a folding or telescoping stock. Now, a threaded barrel, doesn't that include all shotguns? I mean, it's some of them have They've, threaded barrels, yeah. Yep, they're all set up for choke, so there you go. Yep. It's just a, we knew when they got in there they were going to start the nonsense again, and they've already ruined their state, and now that they just want to ruin everybody else's, and you look at how far that they're in debt and how bad that there is, you know, sanctuary cities where they're, the cop wasn't allowed to arrest the guy and then he comes back and, and, and kills police officers, you know, and that, and that sheriff is saying, you know, by law he couldn't do anything about it, which is absolutely wrong because, you know, sanctuary cities, he was the one that decided where he upholded the law or not. He could have, the governor could have been upset or the mayor could have been upset, but his job is to protect the people, not keep them happy. And that's, that's what you get. Yeah, and Andrew and I were talking about this a little bit off air before we started, and you know, they bring this bill up every single year, but then they add to it um, as they go. So I think some updates to this one. Uh, ban stocks that are otherwise foldable or adjustable in a manner that operates to reduce the length, size, or any other dimensions yeah. or otherwise enhances the concealability of the firearm. Bans assault pistols that weigh 50 or more ounces when unloaded. That's a Draco's help up. And if you're AK or AR style pistols, that bans all of those. Exactly. Um, or yep. or any of of four fifty fours or five hundreds. Yep. Even even I mean even like a I think an eight inch barrel forty four Smith would actually not would weigh more than that. Yep. It bans assault pistol stabilizing braces that transform assault pistols into assault rifles by allowing the shooter. Uh, to shoulder the weapon and fire more accurately. <laughs> Bans uh, Thordson-type grips and stocks that are designed to evade a ban on assault weapons. No, it's a little... If anybody knows what the New York and the California little weird flange pistol grips are, 
that's the Thorson style device. That's in other words, to for a guy in California to be able to make a Cali legal AR, they have to have one of those. So initially, it's banning any type of variation of the AR platform. Uh, and then, of course, they're attributing all this to the Las Vegas, um, the Sutherland Springs, Texas shooting, the Parkland, Florida shooting. You mean all of those places where they pretty much that guy, the people were all on the radar and called about and and the police did nothing about it? Uh, yeah, and, those would be the ones. And they all broke the law in some form or fashion. So And the, and the Parkland shooter did, didn't use any of the firearms in that list either. Mm-mm. And I still haven't seen anything where the Las Vegas they still, shooter. They still list that as the, as a shooting. Why we need to ban assault weapons? He didn't use any assault, any of their definition of assault weapons. He didn't use any of those in the Parkland shooting. That's right. He had ten round. He had uh, he had the, the smaller magazines with him and, too. And yeah, a shotgun. I think is what it was. But, yeah, but he didn't have any assault weapons at all. That they now, classify as assault weapons, but they no still- Parkland. Parkland. He did Parkland. He did have an AR. It's it's Sandy Hook. He did oh. not have an AR. But Sandy Hook, mean, yeah, Sandy Hook, ridiculous. yeah, and then the jackass in the movie theater, his okay. his his AR didn't work, and so he used a <laughs> shotgun. So yeah, so I mean, where this all stemmed, you know how it, how it started. I mean, I don't I I don't really know how where we can trace it back to to where we got these importation laws and why we have the importation laws. Um, but I think we all know wh- you know why. It, it's to try to appease these liberal gun grabbers and their uh, misconceptions of what firearms really are and what you know what they're to be used for. You know, basically our Second Amendment rights. Um, they don't understand what those are. So we're not going to get into that. We're still talking about the com- the compliance. So the 922R compliance. We had posted, um, and your dog. I know your dogs want to chime in too, man. I know there's, they feel strong about our Second Amendment rights. We're going to take some questions from our leadheads. And we've probably answered some of these, but we'll just we'll reiterate if we need to. And this is from Pierce Taylor. And he said, are Pioneer AKs entirely imported or are there any parts made in the U.S.? And I think you pretty much fielded that one already. Um, that Not currently, but they are going to be. You guys are looking at making some parts in the U.S., yeah, we've already got the facility set up for it, some of the machinery, so we're we're getting close to start to make that happen. Can fully assembled guns be imported or are they shipped as parts and assembled here? So that's well, a two part question. We, yeah, we kind of covered that. I mean they're they are they are fully functioning guns when they come in, but in order to make them from the sporting version, I mean a, a prime example is the um the Vepers. The Vepers come in as sporting rifles, mm-hmm. um, you know. So there's no conversion needed for them to be able to for them to be sold that way. If you want to get a sporting rifle, um, but in order for them to be an AK, they have to have the 922R compliance to go ahead and make them basically retrofitted to a US to a US firearm. Yeah. So I think maybe if I and, interpret his question is, is, do they send them fully assembled or do they send them disassembled and then you have to reassemble them here? So I think that's probably what he was asking. The sporting rifles are fully assembled, but I think he's asking two questions, really, Marty, because you you got like your surplus guns that are built off parts kits, and then you have your new guns that are imported and then upgraded to 922R compliance. So, you know, for instance, a good example of that is like someone like James River Armory. Uh-huh. You know, they're bringing in a lot of really cool 
uh, Yugoslavia and stuff. I do when I go this. And they're bringing in. Um, so what they're bringing in is parts kits that don't have a receiver and don't have a barrel. Okay. They're assembling them with U- other U.S. parts to manufacture a gun. So your older surplus stuff is brought in as, as parts kits and then assembled on U.S. receivers. And then your new stuff, you know, like the Pioneer Arm stuff, like the Wassers, like the uh, you know the Yugo M70 Pap stuff like that that was coming in before. Um, those are brought in in a sporting configuration and then converted um, over to a more the more popular like AK style uh, variant. So this one uh, next is Jacob Rozeski, uh, and you guys mentioned this already. Where are you getting most of the U.S. made parts? You guys mentioned once again. Say where your most of your parts are coming from right now. Well, I mean it. It depends on on whether you're looking at. You know, Century actually makes a ton of their parts and stuff yeah. with that. We've we've actually looked at had purchased some of those to do our conversion with. Uh, right now, our trigger system and stuff as we have is, you know, we go with the TAPCO trigger system with it. But once again, that's not that's not Pioneer going with it. That's that's a, a third party of James Rivers doing the conversion on them itself. We bring the guns in as supporters, and we sell them um, to, you know, our right now it's classic our, our you know our our retailer and distributor mm-hmm. um so we sell it to them and they have chosen James River to do the conversion and stuff on them now once we get our guns in house uh we will be doing 100% of our guns which be parts that we made to include our own castings um for the trigger groups and stuff with that and we have our own modes for you know our polymer for our stock groups and everything so we'll we'll be doing 100% of that just like uh, centuries doing now but the but there is just a, a plethora of different companies to be able to get parts from uh, you know it just depends on the style and the price and you know and, and the timeline as far as what you want to get Andrew you got anything to add to that no I mean he, he's dead on I mean that's, just how, that's how everybody does business right now I mean you know you've got uh, a lot of companies out there that manufacture parts for all kinds of firearms um, and you can you know it depends on what's the best quality for the best price that you can get and that's what you use um, and I mean, and that, and that goes across the board, regardless of, of what brand AK we're talking about, every, every company operates with that. Yeah. Uh, another quick, can anything full auto be imported? Uh, that's a big negative. No, they can. Okay. Talk about it. it. Well, what you're missing is, is full auto stuff can be brought in as ones and be brought in for demo purposes. For instance, I can bring in a, I can bring in a. Uh, let's just say PM63. Mm. I can bring in a PM63 or I can bring in a PPS43 um, as long as I get uh, police department, law enforcement, or military to sign that they want that gun brought in as a demo for a possible contract or other stuff to go with it. But it has to be, you've got to get the approval from the ATF to bring that in. So you're requested to bring in that one firearm. Uh, to be able to bring it in, but it's for law enforcement or military use only. Now they, right. they can't be they can't be brought in and sold. Right. Andrew, you got anything you want to add to that? You nailed it. Very good. Uh, do any AKs have to be demilled for import anymore? I think we've answered that. Uh, I think that's yeah, that's on Century. But the answer to that is yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Let's see, Jerry Black. See, knowing that. No more than 10 imported parts are allowed in order to be compliant. Are there certain parts that are better than others to include in the 10 imported parts? Um, well, on AKs, you you really want to keep the barrels, trunnion, and receivers because 
yeah. that's uh, they're a pain in the ass to try to switch those out. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. So the American parts are the ones that they're they're currently changing out yeah. to make it compliant. So that would be yeah. the ones that you'd want on your gun. Yeah. The easiest thing, it just just start straight up. The easiest thing is the magazine. Obviously, that counts as three parts. But the second easiest thing is the trigger. You, you change out your trigger, it takes three parts. Hold on one second, Andrew. Okay. <laughs> um, the next thing besides the mag is going to be the trigger system. It's just super, it's easy. There's a lot of them available on the market. I mean, you know, ALG Defense has got them. Tapco's got them. Century makes some. Um, but there's a lot of companies out there that make really good. They're very easy to change out. And that's a real quick way to get three parts. Um, so those are definitely the easiest. And then, of course, the furniture. I mean, furniture, everybody can change out themselves. It's pretty pretty simple. Right. Uh, next one is when selecting an 80% receiver, uh, some advertise as original Polish AKM-47 receiver blank now includes 100% Polish military rails and center support. Does this count as one of 10? Well, the, the, the rails and stuff are, are part of the receiver. They're not separate. So that still only counts as one. It's like because they're actually they're actually welded to the receiver. If it's a if it's a um, if it's a stamped receiver. Sorry, I had a brain cramp. No, that's fine. <laughs> I was letting yeah. you collect your thoughts I, there. <laughs> I thought he froze the way. <laughs> I could tell he was thinking. <laughs> I thought he froze because he stopped moving. Hey Marty, did he say eighty percent stamp lower? He said, when selecting an 80% receiver, okay. some advertise yeah. as original Polish AKM 47 receiver, blank. Okay. So if it's an 80% receiver and he finishes the receiver from 80% to complete, it would technically, that receiver would then technically be manufactured in the U.S. Correct. Yeah. So if, that, if, if that's the case, if he does that and he finishes that 20% here in the U.S., then that would count as one U.S. part being the frame receiver. Blah, 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 blah. Right. Very good. And let's see. What kind of import fees are associated with bringing guns into the U.S.? <laughs> CJ. <laughs> well, you have you have your customs fees that you have to do, basically on duties to be able to bring them in. Um, then you've got to have – and that's, that's one of the – I mean, when, when you're looking at importing guns and stuff and you're bringing them in from overseas – uh, depending on the gun you're bringing in, you you rack up fees really quick that that eat up more than what it costs to actually manufacture the gun. Uh, to start off with, you've got to have a broker to be able to bring them in, and then you've got to have a bond uh, to go with those brokers to be able to do it. And they're basically paperwork chasers just to ensure that all the paperwork and stuff are correct. So you do that, and that's on the state side because you got to remember on the outside on the on the export side. They have to have a broker over there to export for them to get that to go through the custom side of the house. And a, and a lot of things that people don't realize is, for instance, Pioneer, we receive our guns in pallets. Uh, and I'm sure that Century, when they bring in theirs, they do the same thing. So we receive them in pallets, you know, 100 on this pallet, 100 on that pallet. Each one of those guns is pulled from the boxes and photographed when they get to the customs in Poland. And then they're in a, then they're held in a secure cage, and then whenever they hit in the U.S., they've all got to be pulled out of the boxes, serial numbers verified again, then resealed, and then shipped, you know, on to us. In which our customs um, that we have our customs brokers, we have their fees that we have to pay on that. Plus, you have um, 
I don't want to say it's a tariff, but you have duties that you have to pay on on what the guns come in. So you, which is basically a tax that you pay on them, and then you have your your excess tax that you have to pay on every gun, um, and that's basically you pay whether it's you know 10% or 11%. You pay that amount for the gun by it being a firearm before you ever sell it to anyone else. That's why when you look at um, when you look at Palmetto State and they're selling a a upper and they're selling a lower and they're selling them as two separate pieces, uh, that the gun is cheaper than when they're selling the whole gun up top. You know, you could buy the whole gun or you could buy the two separate pieces, and the two separate pieces are cheaper, and that's because they don't, they're not paying the excise tax on it because they're selling parts, not guns. Makes sense. So there's a there's a whole list of if you guys want to go to atf.gov. Uh, you guys can search this. There's a document there that talks about all the the documents and forms and the fees that are associated with those if you want to engage in um, uh, importing firearms or ammunition into the United States. You got to get on the U.S. munitions import list. Uh, U.S. Oh, yeah. U.S. mill, which is not which is more fees, more taxes, more fees. Right. Yeah, every every license that you get, or you've you've got to pay for those licenses, and they keep adding up on it. Like uh, something that a lot of people don't know, as far as say, as a manufacturer, if I'm going to do short barrel rifles, um, and I'm going to bring those short barrel rifles in from overseas, I have to have I have to have the import stamp to be able to have those, to, you know, and I have to renew that in July um, every year. It's not, you know, if I if I get the stamp in March, it still expires in July. You know, and that's that's for bringing in, you know, the, uh, and it's the same thing, you know, for SOT items or or NFA items. Those are all those are all and, the same things. And of course, don't forget ITAR. Yep, ITAR, <laughs> ITAR, ITAR is is the <laughs> ITAR is ridiculous. If you if you've got a gun that you make in the U.S., for instance, if you make an AR style rifle that you are never ever going to export because you only make 10 a month doesn't matter you still have to be itar and that's that's the international well, traffic and arms trade. regulation right and it's a that's a big old chunk of change i can oh, remember yeah. uh i can remember uh, i can remember tennessee tennessee arms and stuff talking about how that yeah. he makes his polymer lowers and itar is just eating him up mm-hmm. yeah he was talking about that at big three when we were chit-chatting about it yeah all right. Yeah, if, if any of the listeners want to get really bored and really angry, <laughs> direct them to the ATF website. I, I spend 30 minutes off on the ATF website reading that stuff. I have to drink a fifth of bourbon afterwards just to calm myself down. It's just insane, some of these gun laws and how they're just in just so ridiculous. They're broad. They're far-reaching. They leave everything up to interpretation. It, it'll, it'll definitely burn, chap your ass after you read it for a little while. And as and as as sad as that sounds, the gun laws are even worse in Europe. That's why that we're going to start doing guns here, is because it's easier to make them in the U.S. than it is overseas. Yeah. So, like Andrew was saying, if you're bored, you know, go to the ATF.gov uh, website. There is a guidebook there. Uh, it's 104 pages long. So, That's if the you guidebook. Wanna, yeah, the guidebook. <laughs> ATF guidebook. <laughs> That's and if you <laughs> and if you really want to challenge yourself, attempt to speak to somebody there. Oh. <laughs> yeah, call them with a question, right? Yeah, try that. My goodness. That, that always works out well for everyone. 
Okay, I think we got uh, pretty much most of the questions uh, that people have. Is there anything you guys can think of that uh, would be uh, that we need to add to this conversation for the listeners' uh, information? Um, I, I would just say, like you know, for the for the home builder, um, the guy who you know wants to build their own gun, you know, is scared, worried about nine twenty two R compliance, um, that kind of thing. Don't be. It's actually not that difficult. Um, it's pretty easy to get your gun into nine twenty two R compliance. Um, if in doubt about, you know, the number of parts, just add another one. They're all readily available. Um, we're not talking about tons and tons of money here. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we're, and especially in the AK world, which is really what we're talking about, you know, specifically on this show. Um, if all your lead heads that are AK guys know, it's super easy to change the trigger out. It's super easy to change the furniture on an AK. All that stuff is really easy. So just, you know, if you're really paranoid about it, just err on the side of caution. Everything with the barrel. You know, you know, yeah, don't mess with the barrel, don't mess with the receiver, don't mess with the trunnions. Just, you know, you put a stock set, you put a magazine, you put a trigger system in there, you're way over covered at that point. Yeah, very good. All right, so make sure you guys go check out Century Arms. Uh, you can't get in touch with Andrew there, um, unfortunately. Andrew's the no social media media having guest that we have on the show. Uh, oh, you can get in touch with him. You guys want his yeah. number? Yeah, yeah. They, they, can, they can email me at marty at talkingled.com. Yeah, because that doesn't exist either. Oh, yeah, even better. <laughs> but seriously, though, if you have questions, talkingledgmail.com, just put in the subject AK Corner, and uh, we'd be happy to answer any questions. We'll direct them to the, to the right person. Uh, the gang over at Pioneer Arms is, uh, very uh, obtainable and reachable. You guys can get in touch with Schwell. You can get in touch with CJ. You can go to the website, which is pioneer-pack.com. That's P-I-O-N-E-E-R-P-A-C.com. And, uh, that's actually the Polish website, right? Do you guys get any of that? Actually, actually it is our, that's yeah, we get we wind up getting all that stuff there. If they've got a question or something else, okay. there's Pioneer Arms. Uh Pioneer Arms dot Is there another website? Uh Pioneer Arms at yeah, well it's not a website, but I'm talking about for the email. Oh, okay, the email. What is your email? Pioneer Arms. Pioneer dot arms at yahoo.com. I'm sorry, I'm I'm trying to unmute and actually say it, but it the, the button's not working. Step in. Right? Yeah, it's, it's, it's pioneer.arms at yahoo.com. That is correct. Okay, very good. Now, we have – I have the the whole corporate site and everything else to be able to, you know, so rather than to use a Yahoo, but all of this stuff falls underneath their server, and it's yeah. it's kind of a pain, so everything is just easier to use in Yahoo, considering we're not building secret rocket guns anyway. <laughs> so, uh, you know, I – Thanks to CJ, I had an opportunity to go to Poland this uh, earlier this year and see these guns made from the factory. I mean, from from the scratch. Each process that it goes through, the the quality control, I and mean, it's just unbelievable. I've had a few questions from from some of our listeners, you know, asking about you know the quality because they do cast their their trunnions. Which I'm telling you, it's not to worry about because the quality control that they put them through to begin with is is better than anything here in America, I'm sure. But our, our you guys back a, your stuff up. Talk about our that. Our Trunion has a lifetime guarantee. Thank you. You know, it has it has a lifetime guarantee. We have sold, 
you know, we get there's this whole bashing crap that comes. Anybody that decides that they can get on and do some YouTube videos or something else, um, you know, that went through the the other night and looked at all these uh, different video reviews. And I don't think there's actually been an AR or an AK that has not been bashed by one of these people. I don't know what kind of gun, you know, that that is acceptable for them but the the the, re- the popular reviewers and and we all know who they are if you go through and look at their site every gun that's ever been made is the worst gun ever um <laughs> at some point in time right yeah yeah i mean we we make a majority of the of the parts uh, like i said we make military guns and our guns are in several different countries um uh, and and their military uses them and we use the castronians and it's it's a different quality of the castings and stuff. We're not using the the cheap metals and stuff. We have a um, uh, you know a, a quality control that we go through with our stuff. And our trunnions, you know, are guaranteed for the life of the gun, not your life, but the life of the gun. If a trunnion fails, we're going to take care of it. Um, and you know, and we've we've out of all the guns that we've sold, sporters and help ups, uh, we've we've got two uh, that we've that we've had generally had issues. Uh, one of them was fired with corrosive ammo during the test phase and it was rusted. So that was an issue. And we got a help up that was, uh, that we replaced, uh, because the, the front, uh, gas, uh, you know, the gas block and the sight posts were a a shade different color than the rest of the gun. (laughs) Shade different color. huh? I mean, it was, it was obvious that you could tell they were a different color. Um, but does it affect so, the the quality of the gun or the performance of the gun? It's just a static thing that somebody was butthurt over, huh? Yeah, you, it's, know? you know that's that's basically what it is. And and people go back and and you hear the people talk about, oh, well, you know, I'm going to make this, you know, this AK is so much better than this other AK and everything. Now, Century, there's there's a lot of gun makers in the U.S. that are making AKs. Century is one of the companies like Pioneer that actually own the license. Now, Pioneer. For everybody that knows who Circle 11 is, and Circle 11 is the the greatest company that ever was as far as making firearms and stuff like that, Circle 11 went bankrupt. And Pioneer bought the machinery that Circle 11 made. Uh, we actually have the personnel that worked at Circle 11. We, we brought all of those over and gave them a job. So all of the equipment, the experience, and everything else that made the Circle 11 guns that everybody prays about is us. We just didn't buy the Circle 11 name because the guy wanted like $150,000 just for the Circle 11. I mean, we are the number 11 factory. We're just not the Circle 11 factory. This is Pioneer Arms Corps in Poland, in Rodham. Right, in Rodham. We, in we Rodham, own, guys. We own that factory, you know, and, and the license that we have is the original Circle 11 license to build the AK-47. So we have the actual license to be able to do it. And so one uh, of the things, uh, just to interject, I had a had a post from some guy the other day. I mean, he was obviously a troll, but you know, he was complaining about how you guys are advertising that you know you're the AK from from Rodham. You know, you're the Rodham AK. Well, that's you are you are the AK from Rodham. You are the Rodham AK. Well, there are three there are three AK companies in Rodham. You have uh, Pioneer which is us. You have Interarms, which is owned by Pioneer, which is uh, it's still one of our factories. Yeah. And then you have uh, Fabric Roni, which is, a, which is the government, which is Circle 11 out of bankruptcy, but they don't sell guns. They only sell parts. Right. 
And a lot of parts that they do sell, I would say, was manufactured somewhere else in Rodham and then shipped over to them at their factory in Rodham. Because we make, like I said, we make a, we make a ton of parts. There's another uh, smaller company that makes about 3,500 uh, AKs a year. That's over in Poland. That's real popular that a lot of people think that they're the, the greatest AK company in the world. And they're basically our parts also. So it's, it's like it's an all AR. Incestuous people. It's, it's all it's, incestuous. It's like ARs. You know, people are talking about how great this AR is and how great that AR is. They all got the same trigger group. Their receivers were all made by the same people. Their boat groups were probably all made by the same ones. Maybe one has an HK barrel, one has a Remington barrel, one has a Bear Creek barrel, but they're all the same guns. So, you know, but our, our AK is made off of the license. We have the actual license to be able to do it. So we're legal to make the guns in Europe. So that's how we're able to cast the parts and other stuff. One of the big thing that goes on in this compute community, and I know, I know Andrew gets tired of hearing this too, is, oh, it's, it's it's mil spec, which a lot of people, a lot of people have no idea what mil spec is when they whoop out and they say, "Oh, my gun's mil spec." Well, no, it's not because mil spec means that 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 metal that made that barrel was tracked from the time that it was first forged, and there's a piece of paper to go all the way through that. So if that barrel ever fails or splits, they can go back and pull that paperwork, and every barrel that was made out of that stock from that original piece of steel that was forged they can go back and they can trace that and they can pull all of those barrels that's what mil spec is you know and and, and a lot of people come up with this and they're saying oh well this my gun is mil spec no it's not your gun is like the rest of them out there unless you paid twelve thousand dollars for it that's why military rifles cost so much is because there's a piece of paper that tracks that trigger spring there's a piece of paper that tracks the screws that go into buttstock every part of that rifle helicopter or tank has a piece of paper that goes through with it until it was put on there that can be back and can be traced that's what mil spec means so on the other side of so on the other side of the house where me and andrew come in is people say you know we can actually say that our guns are made to the military specifications because we actually own the license to do that we actually have the original blueprints and stuff and the license to be able to make them to the standard so when people are being like, oh, well, this dust cover doesn't fit my rifle. Well, that's because, you know, Romania makes it one way. Czechoslovakia makes it one way. You know, our parts are interchangeable with a Kalashnikov because that's a license we have. The guns that Century are making, that they're making their ones off of their license and stuff, theirs are interchangeable also. Uh, and that's because we're made off of the same license, the same data to be able to do it. We just didn't take one and reverse engineer it and be like, oh, this is our gun. So when people in the States are talking about, oh, I've got a mil spec AK or something else like that, that's what they're trying to say is they're made to that specification, um, which I don't think they are because I don't think there's that many license, original Kalashnikov license out there, are there, Andrew? Not very many, that's for sure. I can I can only I can count them all probably on one hand and not use my thumb. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Because that that's a uh, it's not considered a uh, compliant part, so you can't use your thumb. So. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I wanted I wanted to get get you to make the point of the cast uh, that anybody buys your firearms, your your rifles, the Pioneer Arms Corps rifles, you've got nothing to worry about on the trunnion. If you do Never. have a problem with it, you've you, it's covered. 
you know, here, here's the problem with that. You have so many people. Now you can go to Brownell and you could buy your Go No Go gauges, which is really nice. But you have so many people that don't know how to use them. <laughs> I was just about to say that. I mean, there was a no well. How to use those gauges? I think this is a good time to talk about the proper use of those gauges because there's two different gauges that that you're supposed to use and and how to properly use them. Is that something that you guys can uh, talk about? You want to talk about that? I think that'd be a good uh, a good thing to talk about this episode. Yeah, I mean, well, first of all, they're they're you're supposed to place them into the barrel and then let the bolt fall, not fall to them. Well, let's talk about what they are first, Andrew. Let's talk about what the gauges are and what they're used for. Um, basically, what they're used for is to see if you're getting erosion in your chamber to make sure that the gun does not have too much space between the casing and the outside steel, um, so that you don't get a gun that's going to overpressure. Okay. I mean, it's pretty simple. Um, okay. You have a field gauge, you have a no-go gauge, um, and they just basically measure that that you know. You know, they, they measure that distance between it to make sure that the guns are safe to fire. Um, every one of them comes with a very easy to understand instruction manual that tells you exactly how to use them. Um, if people throw those away, then they don't know how to use them anymore. Um, so it's, it's, it's really not, not that big of an issue. Um, there, it's a tool, it's a measuring device. Um, just like any other measuring device, you have to use it a certain way. Um, if you don't use it properly, you get inaccurate measurements. We'll talk um, about how it's supposed to be used. Exactly. I mean, so basically it inserts when you use it, how you use it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you insert it into the barrel or into a chamber like you would insert a round of ammunition. Okay. And if the bolt closes or doesn't close is how you tell whether or not the measurement is good. But it's and you not don't and you don't slammed in it. Yeah. And you don't slam the bolt several times and then hit the handle to try to make sure it's seated properly because then you're just driving it in there. Yeah. You're, so you, you're creating a just let it use its failure. let it use its natural force. Okay. Yeah. I've never used one, so I, I'm I want to I'm curious how they're how they're supposed to be used. Um, I mean, it, it's simple. It's just like I said, just it's just yeah. like it's just like putting a round inside of the chamber. It's not hard to use. Um, it's just the, the proper way to use it. And um, I mean, it's just it's you know it's a tool to use to inspect a firearm. It's just like you know I first I never even used them for AKs in years, but back in the day buying a lot of surplus guns, you'd use them in like M1 Garands, use them in like O3 A3s, yeah. um, Nagants, things like that to make sure that you weren't getting a gun that had already been shot out. Okay. And just to make sure that the barrel... And, and the these are these are easily out. obtained when you can go to Brownells and different places like that to get these. Absolutely. Right. Yeah, but if you're not going to use it right, don't do it. Because And if you don't, if you're not, you don't know how to use it or you're, you're not proficient at that don't get it because you're just going to upset yourself and then you're going to show your buddy and then he's going to look at it and he's going to be wrong and then you're all going to be wrong on it on something that's perfectly fine right um right you know we pride ourselves on our casting as far as it goes um you know you look at you look at your brake rotors and stuff that you have on your cars you know hundred thousand dollar cars they have castings for the brake rotors and stuff I mean, everybody talks about how bad they are, and even these YouTubers that get on and scream up and down about how bad the castings are and everything else and how great forgings are can't show you a reason why. They, they're, they're, they can't say, look, this is why this is bad. They can't do it because it's not out there. Now, we, have, we do do some forge for some of our higher-priced guns that we have that we sell overseas, so we do do the forged trunnions. It adds a it is it adds a price factor onto the guns, um, but there's there's nothing wrong with the cast trunnions. Like I said, we haven't had any that failed. Uh, even the people that are talking about oh, well you know we we 
put the gauge on this one and look how bad it is and look at the field gauge. And yeah. when you kick back and you look at how they're doing it, one, they're doing that wrong. And two, um, what's well, the materials that people use in the casting that that's been the problem in the past. Now what pioneer arms using, like you said, I mean, the quality we control, do it in, they trick, we they do check it, it three, they check it three times, even as they're mixing it, they'll go and check the ingredients that, you know, for lack of a better word, I mean, it is ingredients is what they're pouring in this to make sure that it meets their recipe. You know, they've got a specific recipe for this this casting that they use, and he checks it. I saw it three times every time before they do one um, to make sure that it's the right mixture, the right quantities of each of those metals and components, uh, and then they'll pour them. And once they pour them and they dry, it goes to this other department to where they take them and they actually will will um, through x-ray they x-ray check them casting is not as easy as you think it is where you, you see the guys uh you know you're you're making a bullet with a lead mode or something else on it when you're talking about the steel castings yeah you're absolutely right you have to have your ingredients as far as to get your hardness that you want for the for what you're making um you know there's a wax process a cleaning process that goes through with it once these once these molds are done and they come out you know it's not we're throwing them in a bucket and they're good to go um, they still have to have some machining done to them. Mm-hmm. They're still X-rayed to verify, to verify as far as cracks and so stuff to go inside them. Cracks, to, right? Yeah. Right to make sure that they're they're solid and and good on that. And it's it's just baffling to watch people that, you know, there's a notion out there that this is so much better than that, you know, with nothing to back it up. Right. So there. I think I think the easiest way to explain this mm-hmm. is that. Whether it's forged, whether it's cast, whether it's machined, if you have a, a cheap forging, a cheap casting, or a cheap machining, you're going to have a bad part. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Who, what part you use. If I if I use a Korean forging that's a pile of shit, it's going to break. Just like if I use a cheap Chinese casting, it's going to break. Just like if I use a you know, machine, something that wasn't heat treated properly, it's going to break. So the truth of the matter is, it doesn't. We're, we talk way too much about what material it is, what processes, and what we need to be talking about is, you know, who does a quality casting, who does a quality forging, who does a quality machining. All three of those processes work fine for an AK as long as they're done properly. But when there's a problem with no matter which one, it's going to fail, and they all fail if they're not made properly. So that's the bottom line. Pioneer makes a high quality casting, and it works fine, just like. Other people make high quality forgings that work great and other people machine, you know, and do high quality jobs and have great heat treat and it works fine. But whenever you use a cheap part, you know, I can say my, my AK is forged, but I use a piece of shit forging. It's still going to (laughs) suck. And that's what we, that's what these people need to be concentrating more on. They need to worry less about what the process is and how well the process is done. And that's what makes a good quality firearm as opposed to one that breaks down. There you go. Andrew just summed it up for us. Good job. (laughs) <laughs> bottom line all right so um unless you guys have anything else to add to the uh, 922r compliance or uh the parts i think we should get on to giving away one of these awesome pioneer arms ak sporters all right so this week i mean we've we've had just crazy amount of participation uh tyler pierce edward jacob big papa Dustin, Jerry, uh, and Jerry has been doing just nonstop since we've started this, posting, sharing our posts, liking, 
participating. And uh, this week's winner is Jerry Black, ladies and gentlemen. Congrats, uh, Jerry. So, uh, Jerry, I don't, I'm not for sure when this show is going to add, but your sporter uh, won't be able to be shipped until the last week of January, the first week of February, due to the fact that right now they're being manufactured. So uh, as soon as we get as soon as we get one manufactured and in, we'll be able to get it sent out to you. There you go. And I think Schwell and I made a disclaimer a few shows earlier that yeah, you winners expect you know six to eight weeks at least. Uh, to receive your firearms. Uh, don't get impatient. You're going to get them. Uh, I think everybody to date's received theirs so far. So, Jerry, that that will come. So, congratulations. We might even send Jerry a shirt. Well, looky there. <laughs> he's a he's a big dude, so he'll need at least a XL, maybe a 2X. Well, he, he can, he he's can like deal with six a, four. He's a big dude. He can deal with XL or... Uh, he can give it to his kid, right? He can <laughs> give it... Fix. <laughs> Give it to a significant other. You can give it to me if it don't fit, Jerry. <laughs> uh, but, yeah, so you guys continue the support, continue the engaging. Uh, send us your questions, your comments, guest topics that you'd like us to talk about. TalkingLedGmail.com and AK Corner in the subject, and we will we will get those taken care of. So what do you want to do for the next giveaway, CJ? Swell. A gun. Uh, <laughs> well, you know, we got the PPS 43s coming in in 9mm. Really? Yeah. yeah. I'd like to win one of those. Not an AK. Me too. Doesn't I have to be an AK. AK. I think somebody would be perfectly happy with one of those. <laughs> well, well, I well, don't we, have one of those yet, so nobody else gets one before I get one. Right, me either. <laughs> well, we have the Help Up pistols coming in with the... Uh, that are back brace ready that have the mount for the back brace on them. Yeah, let's talk about that real quick. Um, so the ones that that we're in now, they don't have that uh, trunnion to be able to to have the the brace. You have to change well, that do, out. Well, well, they do. There's a piece of metal back there. You have to take that piece of metal out, and then you have to. There's another piece that goes inside that'll screw down that are made aftermarket uh, by a couple, a couple other companies. But due to the fact that we like to do innovation and changing stuff uh, to continually improve ours. We're it's basically going to be the with no nomenclature change on the gun itself. We're just going to call it Mod One, mm-hmm. and basically what that is is it has the back of it now is designed to take several different braces um, that'll screw in that it's already fitted and already been tapped. So you can buy your different types of brace fittings, and that'll screw right onto the back of the gun, uh, and nice. you can fire it of course without it. One of the other things that are that's coming out that I'm pretty excited about that'll be out in the near future is we've taken our trunnion where the site is and we've extended that trunnion back over the dust cr- cover and made it into a Picatinny rail. So you can put your red dot, mount your red dot onto a solid surface of the gun uh, to be able to have your optic on there without having to worry about losing your zero. Nice. And that's going to be the mod ones that are coming out? Yep, that's coming up pretty soon, and we're going to do that for the sporter also, so you can do your optic on your sporter and have it on there also. And it's going to be able to come back far enough over the top of the dust cover that you can still get the dust cover off, but it's still got good eye relief so that you don't have to worry about making any adjustments on it. Nice. Very good. So um, that's something to look for. I know that some of our previous winners and people that have the hell pups were asking about the brace, you know, what part did they need to do that. So um, 
the companies do you know the companies that sell that adapter for the for the mod for the gen one help ups i do can can you mention them I mean, I, I can just tell you real quick. Basically, what you're looking for is an AK to M4 stock adapter plate. There's a lot of companies that make them. Um, so that, that's what they're looking for. Is they're looking for the adapter to where they can put the uh, AR style tube on the back of it, mm-hmm. and um, and then add the AR style braces that are out and readily available. Well, it cheaper a dirt cheaper than dirt has it. Okay, yeah. very good. So that's that's where you guys can go and and get that adapter. Yeah, uh, I'm but- holding my hand from Strike Industries right now. They make one. Strike Industries has one. Okay. Yeah, I mean, there's a ton of them out there. That that one's a little more expensive, but yeah. Well, I personally, I'm going to get one for mine because I want one for mine. So yeah, I'm personally, you know, you're going to get one of those. So, all right, guys. So make sure you tune in to part eight of the Talking Lead AK Corner. Um, that's only f- what five more to go, Schwell. We're halfway yes, through it. Uh, we we're, were halfway done. through it last. This is part seven. So yeah. Um, We've only got a few more to go for our 12-part series. But we want to thank Pioneer Arms Corps for making this show possible, especially our first episode, Schwell and I both were caught off guard. We had no idea that you you were going to add the Gunna episode giveaway to it, you know, <laughs> which just really has uh, enhanced the, the enjoyability and listenability of the show for our listeners. So thank you for doing that, CJ. It weren't nothing. Twerk nothing. It's just something he does. Something he does. Schwell, we want to yes, we want to hear from you. What uh, what did you get from this show today? What do you take from it? Well, I'm you know being around CJ as much as I am and and watching what Pioneer does. I'm you know I, I watch and I pay attention and I ask a lot of questions about the 922R compliance. That's the one thing about the AK that I am well versed in when it comes to the AK47 and what we have here on the market. The wording. How it is, uh, I guess, administered in the United States, why we have it, those are great things to have a discussion about with like-minded individuals. So for me, I just thought it was a great discussion on something that is important and impacts this segment of the industry. Absolutely. And I think that's probably why we had so many people asking about it. So great topic. Appreciate you guys taking the time. Andrew, thank you for being on. And uh, talk about Century Arms real quick. What uh, What's new and exciting from Century? Oh, everything's new and exciting with Century Arms, but uh, um, yeah, I mean, we've just been uh, chugging along. We've got a bunch of exciting stuff going on for SHOT Show, as I'm sure most everybody does. Um, so obviously, we introduced our new U.S.-made AK earlier this year, um, and I know this is the AK corner, but um, you know, just always like to mention Canic Arms. Um, while, while whenever I'm talking, um, our, our imported line of handguns um, has been just really taking off and doing fantastic. We've got the new Elite Combat that just came out that we teamed up with Salient on, so it's a uh, it's a Canic with um, Salient parts on it, Salient barrel and and, and the like. So that's uh, been really exciting for us there at Century. Um, but yeah, definitely just uh, stay tuned um, as usual. Shop Show always brings new and exciting things, and God, it's only like a week away now. Yeah, hey, I was wondering. Hey, I was just wondering, do you guys got anybody special that's going to be hanging out your booth and at Shot Show or anything else that anybody may want to come up and see? Because I think I think Instructor Zero is going to be there. Yeah, Instructor Zero is going to be there, and there's one other person I cannot remember. Hold on. Yeah, but that's not more exciting than Talking Lead being at Buck Knives. So that, that no, that is what I'm most excited about. You're absolutely you're absolutely correct, Marty. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Marty, Marty, make sure you bring a whole box of band aids for yourself. You're going to hang out in a knife booth all day. Is that right? <laughs> that is that is true. <laughs> yeah. 
Mark, I got a Marty, medic. Everybody bring a suture kit to the uh, Buck Knives booth. Marty's going to need it. So I've got that covered. I, we've actually got a medic that's going to be there. We've got the last surviving member of Easy Company, World War II veteran. Um, Albert Mamprey is going to be uh, at our at our Buck Knives booth, and we're going to get an exclusive interview with Albert. That's very, that's very pretty good. awesome. Yeah, that's, that's pretty really awesome. Yeah. I'm definitely going to hopefully probably won't be able to, but I would love to be able to sneak out of my booth for that. Yeah, definitely make make sure you uh you do do that. Now, is Pioneer Arms going to have anything a presence at Shot Show this year, CJ? Yeah, fortunately, fortunately, we will not. Okay. Uh, so I will not, uh, and I'm I'm also not going to be at the uh, at the Wolf booth this year, so I will not be attending Shot Show. You However, we do have we do have uh, for your listeners that want to come up, we do have a. We will have a spot in Indianapolis at the NRA. We will be there sharing a booth. Uh, uh, looks like we'll be sharing a boo- boo- booth. Booth. There you go. That's the word. Yeah. yeah. Uh, <laughs> with Wolf, and I am I am sure that there will be uh, there'll be plenty of giveaways and a lot of that stuff um, there for you guys that are familiar with with some of the giveaways at Shot to like uh, Geisley does. I'm sure Pioneer will will be able to do that. Hats, parts, maybe a firearm Ooh. every day. Nice. Every day, every day of the event, and uh, you know, and and maybe inflatable sheep or something like that. <laughs> and then, of course, we've always got uh, in March. You know, we've got the big threes to look forward to. And uh, yep. talking lead will be there. Looking forward to that. Uh, uh, Pioneer will be giving away six guns during the big three East. So they'll be given. They'll be giving away uh, two guns a day. Oh, nice. nice. Very good. So, and, and uh, up. all you have to do to be eligible is not be a felon uh, and not have a restraining order against you. <laughs> <laughs> and so not be a douchebag. Well, we can't really do anything about that. You have a couple yourself. <laughs> <laughs> just That's kidding. True. Just kidding for you guys that have never met Marty. He's a great guy. <laughs> <laughs> I've paid well, him to say everyone that. Everyone knows two of those restraining orders are with CJ. So <laughs> <laughs> it is. It is true. <laughs> All right, guys, that does it for another episode of the Talking Lead AK Corner. Make sure you go and support our sponsor, Pioneer Arms Corps. Uh, he told you where you can tell them again. Once again, where they can go and get your rifles, CJ. Yeah, Classic Firearms uh, right now is the distributor, so you can you can get them at Classic, but they're also they're also at Hicks uh, and everyone that they cover. They're also at the Armchair, so a bunch of different dealers have us have them. Uh, we have a uh, a map price that is out on the gun, so everybody's selling them for pretty much the exact same price. Uh, so anywhere that you want to get them, and the best thing to remember is is we're gonna if you have an issue with that gun, regardless of what it is, even if it has a discoloration problem. We're going to take care of it and make it right. So, um, in the near future, we're also going to be bringing in the original Polish stocks. So, we're going to be bringing those in also for parts kits as well as being able to do uh, set up an online store to be able to do PPS 43 parts, uh, PPS parts kits, PM3, PM63 parts kits, and a bunch of other parts kits and stuff that we're going to go. And these will all be online that you'll be able to order also and do that. So we've, we've got new stuff coming down the road. Be looking forward for our new T-shirts and our uh, new ads and stuff that are going to be out in the near future. And uh, Continue listening again, to the Talking Late AK Corner. <laughs> right. And, and once again, whether whether it's a, an arsenal or a century or, or a, you know, a pioneer, they're, 
they're all good AKs that are out there, and this this show is dedicated uh, to the AKs that are around the world and the ones that are made in the U.S. and not just uh, for the Pioneer guns. We're we're all part of the same family. Very good. We're, oh yeah, next episode we're giving away a help up with a with an adaptable plate on the yeah, back of it. Talk about that, Marty. All right, guys. Thank you so much. We'll be back uh, next month. So until then, twelve. Everybody have fun, be safe, and also be responsible. And thank you for listening to the Talking Leads AK Corner presented by Pioneer Arms.